Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is staying safe and staying healthy as we still are navigating the coronavirus stuff. But it is good to be here. It is good to be in God's house and it is good to gather whether it is here or virtually through the podcast. I'm just a couple of announcements as we begin. We're going to have a church picnic. It is actually on July 26th, not July 25th as is listed there in the bulletin. So that's a Sunday evening, and it'll be up at Charlie Mackey Park in Max Welton, which is across the street from uh, Clifton Presbyterian Church. We're either going to do just a a straight cover dish dinner, or if we can get a couple guys or ladies that are willing to to drag their grills up there and maybe do some hot dogs or hamburgers, um, we might go that route as well. So if you're interested in helping out with some grilling, Please talk to either myself or to Linda, and um, we'll make arrangements for that. But please put that on your calendar. That'll be in the evening on July 26th, not 25th. Um, and as Linda said, I've got a I've got a little bit of time to change the date in there, so we're good. Around five? Yeah. I think we have the pavilion from five to eight. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, and then also. Um, uh, For Him Ministries is a ministry we, uh, Courtney went to Iquitos, Peru with For Him Ministries last year. And that area, as we have prayed for, is really struggling with the coronavirus stuff as, as they've had several doctors die in the community and are now struggling with getting food into the area as well. And so we are going to be collecting money over the next couple weeks to help provide medical supplies and food for the people there. And so there's a basket. Now there's two, there's a, an offering plate and a basket on the table out there in the entryway. So, um, if you'd like to give to the Quitos Peru, the basket is marked. The offering plate is for the tithes and offerings. Or if you'd prefer to mail in either of those, um, just if you're going to donate to For Him Ministries with a check, please just put in the, in the memo section. Um, what the what the check is for so we can get it to the correct area. And the women of the church, um, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, they're matching up to $200. So um, that's, that's a, a wonderful opportunity for us to serve an area that's been hit really hard by this virus. Um, are there any other announcements? Well, if not, our call to worship today comes from the book of Psalms. It comes from Psalm 91. We're going to be singing through uh, Bible Song 188 for the month of June um, under his wings. And we'll be using Psalm 91 as our call to worship throughout the month of June as well. So our call to worship today comes from Psalm 91, beginning in verse three. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you for these promises that we are protected We are safe. We are secure in you, even in the midst of war, even in the midst of pestilence. 
As we have this picture here in the Psalms of a hen gathering her chicks and protecting her from protecting them from the dangers underneath the feathers of her wings. We know that you gather us together and you protect us. And we know that while we see thousands fall at our side, we are safe. We are secure in your in you. And knowing that even if we fall here, we reside eternally and secure from the dangers of this earth in your presence. And so, Lord, as we gather in this place to worship today as as a foretaste of that gathering with you in your presence, we ask that you fill us, that you be glorified in our worship and that you are reminded that it is in your presence that we are protected. And so, Lord, we gather here today to worship and we gather here today to pray. And we do pray as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As I mentioned, we'll be singing number Bible song number 188, Under His Wings. Once again, a, a, a reminder that we rest secure in God's presence. So let us stand and sing Bible song 188, Under His Wings.
please be seated. So let us bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer of confession. Father, we come laden with guilt for our sinfully judgmental attitudes and absurd hypocrisy. There is no end to the list of ways that we judge others. We consider ourselves experts on the things that matter to us and look at those around us with disdain and disgust as we evaluate their inability to be as intellectual, funny, fashionable, talented, experienced, balanced, reasonable, sensitive, loving, pure, wise, God-fearing, gospel-centered, or generally just as good as we are. Our hypocrisy is shocking as we willfully blind ourselves to the mountain of remaining sin in our own lives while we examine with smug satisfaction the broken and sin-stained lives of those around us. Forgive us, Lord. We need a Savior. We call upon Jesus' name for deliverance from our love of self and judgment toward others. As Jesus perfectly fulfilled every one of your commands, his attitude toward others remained unshakably characterized by love and compassion. Even as he was being punished for our sinful self-addiction and hypocrisies that we now confess, Jesus was pleading, Father, forgive them. You poured out your just wrath for our injustices on him. He emptied himself of all but love so that we in our helplessness would receive adoption by his shed blood. We are still helpless, Father. Try as we might, we continue to struggle with judgmentalism and hypocrisy even now. Lead us, Lord, to Calvary, where we see our sin in the blinding light of your love for us through the wonderful cross. Send your spirit to end the strife in our broken hearts, that we might look at one another with love and compassion that you have lavished upon us. Let us experience the transforming power of your wonderful grace. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13. So hear the word of the Lord. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, 
Won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that so that I will not cause him to fall. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. As I mentioned before, tithes and offerings can even either be placed in the basket here in the offering plate in the entryway or mailed to the church as we have been doing. God and Father, you are the provider. You are the one who gives us all things. You own all things and you allow us. You call us to be stewards and managers of all that you own. And part of what you own is is money. And a part of that call to steward and manage that is to give to you our tithes, our offerings. And so we have done that today. We have answered your call. Remind us that you bless those who give. Remind us that you are glorified when we give according to your call. 
We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 239. Come, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove. This is our prayer. That the Holy Spirit comes upon us, opens our eyes and our ears to the truths, to the glory of God. So let us remain standing and sing hymn number 239. Come, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove. As we go to the Lord in prayer this week, uh, we rejoice with the Pearsons. Uh, Jonathan's been having some back issues and they got some good news, some better news this week that uh, possibly the surgery will not be anywhere near as um, difficult and the recovery nowhere near as difficult as they were originally told. So we praise God with that. Um, And we thank him for that. Please be praying for Annette Pine and her family. Jimmy passed away this weekend. And so Jimmy Huffman, so be praying for them. Um, And then also uh, for the Holiday family, Richie Holiday. Many of you know him from Morgan Funeral Home. Their son passed away this week also. So please be praying for Richie and his family. And then for our country, we are definitely in the midst of turmoil And we need God's grace in many areas in our country. And so continue to lift up not just our politicians, but our people as well. Because as the people go, so go the politicians. So um, please be lifting up the people in our country. Any other prayer requests this week? Well, if not, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God, we humbly approach your throne today knowing that we are here merely at your good grace. We are here because you have gifted us 
with the right and the privilege to approach your throne and to bring you our petitions, our thanksgivings, our worships and our needs, our confessions. So, Lord, help us to be reminded of the great gift that we have been given in prayer. Lord, help us to seek you daily, to come before you in humble adoration, being reminded that you are our Father and that you reside in heaven. You are the Creator. You are sovereign. You are glorious. You know all things. You are present everywhere. You are more powerful than anything. You are goodness. You are truth. You are grace. You are mercy. You are just. You are holy. You hate sin. And you provide salvation. And we thank you for that. Remind us that we should come to you for our daily needs. We should thank you for the ways in which you have provided for us. Many of those ways in which we take for granted. Many of those ways which we grumble against. Whether it be job. Whether it be gifts. Whatever it may be, Lord, help us to be grateful for what you have provided for us. And forgive us for grumbling against those ways of provision. You are the God who forgives sin. As we have done today, we lift our sins to you and ask you to forgive them. Help us to turn toward you, to walk away from the sinful nature and to walk into the holiness that you have not only called us to, but that you have given to us through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, part of our daily bread is also bringing our cares and concerns to you. We rejoice with the Pearsons that uh, Jonathan's way forward is not as difficult as they once thought. And we praise you for doctors and for medical advances. We lift up and we weep with Annette's family, with the Huffman family, and also with the Holiday family as they have lost loved ones this week. And we ask comfort and grace and strength into all of their lives. Help them to rely upon you. Help them to see you more fully through these difficult times. Lord, we lift up our country. We are a people who are seeking to live in a community while at the same time seeking our own agendas above the agendas of others, above your agenda. And Lord, that's a recipe for disaster. So help us to turn toward each other and toward you. And help us to seek your good in our country, in our culture. Help us to see that we must sacrifice our wants and desires for a peaceful culture. Help us to see that we must sacrifice our very selves so that we might be at peace with you and be reconciled to you as we set aside our wills, as we take up our crosses daily and follow you. Help us to be agents of peace and agents of change and agents of your gospel in this fallen and broken world. And Lord, as we consider your word, Help us to grow into the maturity that you call us to in the book of Hebrews so that you might be glorified in the way we walk 
in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are gathered around truth. We are gathered around the truth of the word. And that truth, as we proclaim most every week, is summarized for us in the Apostles' Creed. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. We are in Romans 14 today. This kind of came out of a conversation I was having with somebody and on Christian liberty. And they said, well, you should really preach on that. So I am. We're going to look at Romans 14. Now, just to give you a little bit of background on this, Paul, in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, walks us through both the pagans' need for the gospel and the religious person's need for the gospel. In showing us that we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us, every human being every born, ever born has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God and desperately needs to be reconciled to God through Jesus' work of justification on the cross. And then we have, as he works through to the end of chapter 8, we have, I was reminded, I was told by Bob today that one way to look at chapter 7 and 8 is that, that process where God takes us through from salvation, sanctification to glorification, when we will finally live the reality that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in chapters 9 through 11, 9, 10, and 11, he deals with the reality of how does the gospel work with the Old Testament people of God and their call, and that they are called to the same truth that we are as Gentiles, as non-Jews, that they were called to believe in Jesus. And Paul even goes so far as to say he would give up his salvation if his people would see their need for Jesus as the Messiah. Something for us to think about as we pray for others and those that we love in our lives. And then chapters 12 through the end of the book are our applications of the gospel. How do we live out the reality that we are justified through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And chapter 14 falls in a section that begins in the middle of chapter 13 and runs most of the way through to, through chapter 15 on applying that gospel in love for others. And so we pick that up in chapter 14, verse 1. Accept or welcome with hospitality him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. 
for God has accepted or welcomed him with hospitality. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that he does does not come, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for all that you have written for us in your word. We thank you for these words of Paul that remind us that love and encouragement should be the guiding practice as we interact with each other around these matters of opinion or dis- disputable matters. Lord, give us clarity, give us principles to live by. And show us the truth that we are all accepted before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to be around the church very long to figure out that God's people don't always get along. The sad reality is that the world doesn't always know that we belong to Jesus because we don't always act lovingly toward each other. And one of the big areas in the church that we often fail in showing love is in the area of Christian liberty. Now, Christian liberty deals with how we are to interact with issues not explicitly set down in the Scripture. Or it may deal with issues explicitly set down within Scripture, but that have been fulfilled and completed in the work of Jesus. 
and so therefore have a different role in our lives today. Disputable matters are things that aren't explicitly written out in the law, the thou shalt not, so to speak. They are the things that that God doesn't say, thou shalt not eat rutabagas. Thankfully, God did not say thou shalt not eat rutabagas. I like rutabagas. But there are a lot of things in the Christian life that are questionable, that kind of sit in a in a middle ground that we're not sure. Are they right? Are they wrong? That tradition has told us in the past that they're wrong, but sometimes they're not wrong. So how do we deal with those things? How do we deal with those areas of Christian liberty? What he says in this passage are disputable matters or literally matters of opinion. Those who find freedom in areas not explicitly set down are tempted oftentimes to arrogance toward those who do not find freedom in areas. And those who are conscience bound to abstain from certain things can be judgmental toward those who are not conscience bound to abstain. But the good news is, and it's also the bad news, is that this is not a new problem within the church. It's bad news because it reminds us that as the author of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. And we haven't really changed that much since the founding of the church. But the good news is that we have the means to address these because Paul wrote about them. And that the gospel covers these areas just as well. So today we're going to look at Romans 14, kind of in a, like we did last week with racial issues, kind of in a, a that, that, that high altitude view to see if we can gain some principles. Um, as we look at not judging and as we look at loving by encouraging. First, don't judge or distress. Now, Paul addresses two disputable matters in this chapter. The first one he addresses is food. And the other one that he addresses are sacred or holy days. Now, from the passage that we can surmise here that there were people within the church there in Rome that kept to a vegetarian diet in order to avoid unclean foods. Now, using those words, unclean food should put us back in mind of the book of Leviticus when God is giving the purity laws and he says there are certain foods that you can or cannot eat and that you don't eat those foods because they remind you that you have to live a life of purity before God. God expects us to be pure. But in giving those laws, he also reminds us and points to the fact that, you know, while we can keep an external purity there's an internal purity that we that we cannot live up to. And that's an internal purity that needs to be dealt with. And we'll, we'll look at how these things relate as we move through. And there would have been Jewish people who were former Jews within the church who had lived, who had grown up following these food laws that for some reason, whether it's a reason of maturity or whether it was just a reason because they it was just a habit for them having grown up that way, they still felt that they had to stay with these food laws, these these ritual purity laws. And so in order to make sure that they didn't eat any unclean food, they ate all vegetables, a plant based diet, we would call it today, because all plants were clean. They might not taste that good, but they were all clean. Well, the same thing goes for me. So the other thing we see is that they were holding the sacred days. Or holy days. Now these sacred days, these special days were likely the religious festivals that we see throughout the law established. Mainly the three religious festivals, Passover, the Feast of Booths, and um, Pentecost, I believe it is. 
But those three main festivals that pointed to the reality that God had released them from slavery and had brought them into freedom and into the promised land to to look back to the, the lives of slavery they had and to look forward to the peace that they could expect. Now, when they got to the promised land, did they find the peace that they were expecting? No, they had to kick the inhabitants out. And they didn't do a good job of that. And so they lived in turmoil until they were kicked out of the land. And even when they were brought back to the land after a time of exile, they weren't completely back in the land because the prosperity and the peace that they had been promised was not there. And so those feasts reminded them that they were awaiting something more. But these Jewish people were keeping these festivals and these holy days. And we know that because of Jesus' work on earth and on the cross, these ceremonial Purity laws are no longer in effect for us. In fact, Paul references, uh, at least alludes to Mark seven fourteen and following when he talks about all things are, are clean. Where Jesus talks about it's not what you eat, but what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. And Mark adds a little parenthetical phrase that says, by saying this, Jesus made all, th- all foods clean. But we know that because of Jesus work on earth, Jesus work on the cross, these ceremonial purity laws, these these feasts are no longer binding upon us because they have pointed to our need for purity before God. They have pointed to our need of rescue and reconciliation before God. And those things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But for some reason, as I said, in the church, some people were still holding to these things, to these ceremonial these purity laws and these ceremonial holy days while others chose not to follow them to not be bound to them and this unfortunately created a division and it created a division around these words strong and weak those who felt themselves to be strong and mature in their faith Look how much I know. I don't have to keep the purity laws. I can eat barbecue ribs if I want to because I am so mature in my faith. You weaklings over there that are just eating a vegetarian diet need to get with the program. And the weaklings over there that needed to get with the vegetarian diet were saying, well, you're sinning and in danger of the fires of hell because you're not following the rules that God wrote in the Bible. And you had this idea of despising and looking down by the strong upon the weak. And you had this this judgmentalism that came from the weak to the strong. And Paul deals with it very directly in verse 13 of chapter 14. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Paul basically says, look, your attitudes have got to stop. Because you're not treating one another like the person, like the church, like Jesus called us to be. He said the world will know you because you love one another, we're told in the Gospel of John. In verse 3, he fills this command out just a little bit. by He says the man who eats everything must not look down, must not despise, must not look with contempt on him who does not eat everything. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn. And that word there, condemn, is the word used in Matthew 7 that says do not judge, which means do not consign somebody to hell. That's not your job. That's God's. And so we see here that the strong were looking down, acting arrogant toward the weak, and the weak were condemning the strong. And Paul says 
under no uncertain terms should this happen. He says, stop it right now. And I see five reasons in the first 13 verses as to why this is. And the first we see in verses one through three is that they should accept each other because God accept, has accepted them. The word translated accept is a word that means literally welcome with hospitality. The strong. Now, this this is geared toward the strong. Most of this passage is geared toward the strong, but applies toward the strong and the weak here. It says welcome with hospitality somebody who differs with you. On these disputable matters. And why should we welcome somebody with hospitality? Somebody who differs with us? Because God has the exact same word. Welcomed us with hospitality. And that's a radical statement that we don't. That we can gloss over if we just if we just kind of read it. But we need to stop and think about that. God has welcomed you and me with hospitality. Do we deserve God's hospitality? No. Because we, prior to Jesus coming into our lives, prior to the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts, we lived in absolute rebellion to him. And hospitality is the last thing we deserve from God. So why should we welcome somebody who differs with us? Because God has welcomed you and me. Why should we work through these things that we differ on as Christians that are disputable matters? Because God has taken things in our lives that are not disputable matters. And he says, I have forgiven them. I have reconciled you to me in spite of those. In fact, what does Paul say earlier in Romans? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were in rebellion, while we were breaking the non-disputable things in God's law, God paved the way for us to be welcomed into his presence with hospitality. Secondly, both the strong and the weak are serving God. Verse four, he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him to stand. Whether you are following the, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament or whether you are not, whether you're keeping the feast days or you are not, Paul says you're serving God. Those people had come to those those decisions, hopefully through study and consideration, as we'll see here in a little bit. But they've come to those decisions as a means by which they serve God. And both of you are serving God, Paul says. So there's no reason for you to to look down upon or to judge the other. So first off, we accept others for their in the disputable matters because God has accepted us. Secondly, both the strong and the weak are seeking to serve God. Thirdly, we should all be living for God's glory, not our own. You know, if I stand up here and say, look at how holy, look at how mature I am because I have Christian freedom in these areas that the scripture doesn't explicitly address I'm asking you to look at me I'm asking you to look at how holy I am how mature I am how how knowledgeable I am but what I should be doing is pointing you to God's glory I should be using my Christian liberty for God's glory what does he say he says the one who eats 
meat, he gives thanks to God. The one who doesn't eat meat, what do they do? They give thanks to God too, do they not? They say their prayers before supper. All of us should be seeking God's glory however we act within these areas of of Christian liberty. Fourthly, God will judge all of our actions with how we interact within the church. Now, this is not the white throne judgment where God is going to separate the sheep and the goats. This is the judgment described in 1 Corinthians 3, where we're told to to build up the temple of God with stone and with precious jewels rather than with straw, because when God's purifying fire comes through, it's only the stone and the precious jewels that will remain. And we also talk about how God will judge the actions of Christians. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5 as well. We, We sometimes misuse the gospel and think that it gives us a free pass. On everything. But God, even though it is covered by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even though we're holy, even though we're reconciled before him, God's going to sit here and ask us, how did you treat your fellow brothers and sisters in church? How did you treat the people that I welcomed with hospitality? How did you treat them? And we're going to have to go through those things with God. It's going to be painful, brothers and sisters. There'll be glory in it in that we know we're forgiven But we are going to have to give an account to God for how we treated each other within the walls of this church or whatever church you belong to. Did you treat them with contempt? Did you judge them or did you welcome them with hospitality? And fifthly comes from the end of the passage, the last couple verses. The fifth reason that we should welcome somebody is that forcing someone to act against their conscience is causing them to sin. And and if you cause somebody else to sin, I would say you are sinning as well. And the reason that it is sin is if you cause somebody to violate what they feel is God's will for them, what you are asking them to do is to put their will above God's will, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They put their desire for knowledge against what God had told them to do. And so those five reasons that we should welcome others is number one, because God has welcomed them with hospitality. Number two, because we should both be working, serving God. Number three, we should all be living for the glory of God. Number four, God will judge all of our actions within the church. We will have to give an account for how we treat one another. And fifthly, forcing someone to act against their conscience is sin. So how should we act if we're not supposed to condemn, if we're not supposed to judge or despise? How should we act? He said on the flip side, we should replace our condemnation and our judging with love that shows itself in encouragement. Most of these words in this passage are directed toward the stronger brother, to the one who finds freedom in these areas of disputable matters, areas of opinion. And the gospel is the basis for this loving encouragement. In verse 17, Paul says that God's kingdom is not a matter of food. It's not a matter of drink. It's not a matter of holy days. But it's a matter of righteousness, of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness points us to the truth that we have been reconciled to God through justification, that legal declaration that our sins have been forgiven in the work of Jesus. Our sins were punished on the cross so that we might have his righteousness placed upon us and in us. 
We are a kingdom of peace in that we are should be in harmonious relationships with each other. Points to the reality that the cross also reconciles believers to each other after Adam and Eve sinned. God looked at Adam and he said, and, and to Eve, and he said, interpersonal relationships are now going to be difficult because you brought sin into your life. Because you didn't sin together, you sinned as individuals, and you will now move forward for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, or at least until Jesus comes back, seeking your own good, your own glory, your own will. And that doesn't only put us in enmity with God. It puts us at enmity with each other. We can see this in our culture right now, brothers and sisters. As we have 380 million different gods in our country seeking to exercise their own will, we're falling apart and we're trying to destroy each other in the process. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace because the gospel mends those relationships. It reconciles us one to another as we do all pursue the service of God and the glory of God. We are in this together. Pursuing God and joining the Holy Spirit points to the fact that we are reconciled to ourselves. Have you wrestled with guilt and shame over your sin? There's a godly guilt. There is a guilt that God gives to us that it should draw us back to him. But the enemy convinces us to embrace that guilt and to live in that guilt and to carry shame upon our shoulders that does not belong to us. Jesus took the shame of abuse. Jesus took the shame of betrayal. Jesus took the shame of whatever it is that you are carrying in your life and he nailed it to the cross so that you could be a whole person once again, so that you could be reconciled to yourself and no longer self-loathe. No longer seek peace in areas that he has already given you peace and seek that peace through worldly means that will not bring you peace. That will not bring you joy. As whole people by the gospel, we should have joy in ourselves. And because of this, because we are reconciled to God, because we are reconciled to each other, because we are reconciled to ourselves, we can love one another in these disputable matters. And that love shows itself in what Paul says here is mutual edification. Seeking the raising up of each other. So for you stronger brothers and sisters in areas of Christian liberty, this means that you may need to abstain from things that you have no problem with doing because they do not violate your conscience. Why? Because you could hinder the walk of sanctification in your brother or sister. Do you have freedom in a certain area? Movies. Well, if a weaker brother comes to you and says, hopefully they come to you in love. We'll get to that in just a second. Or they come to you and say, you know, I'm really having a problem. And, and I need to understand. I need you to explain why you went and saw that movie. You know? Oh my goodness, well, let's sit and talk and I won't go anymore until we can come to an understanding that glorifies God for both of us. And and it doesn't just have to be movies, it can be any of these disputable areas. It's how you spend your money. 
on disputable matters, matters of opinion. It's how you spend your time on disputable matters, matters of opinion. Whatever it is, be willing to step back from them. That's the example Paul gives. Referencing Mark 7 and Acts 10, he says, hey, there are no unclean foods. But if it causes somebody to stumble, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put their sanctification, their walk with God before my desires. You may have worked through an issue and found that you have freedom in that issue. But if your freedom causes another to stumble or hampers their sanctification, you should refrain. You should back off. To the weaker brother or sister. Use these opportunities as opportunities to learn and possibly to grow. You may consider this. We're told in here that whatever decision you make in disputable matters, you have to have considered them and come to your own decision. You know, children are bound by their parents' scruples, by their parents' morals. And when we're younger as Christians... There are some scruples that we are bound to or we should be bound to. But as we mature, as we as we grow, we study, we learn, we begin to to open up and see how the law applies in different ways. Now, we don't walk away from the law. Please hear me say this right now. There are aspects, the moral law, the thou shalt not in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and the parts of the moral law that derive directly from them. I'm thinking Leviticus 18 and 19 are still in effect on the Christian. Those are not disputable matters. I'm talking about matters that aren't directly addressed. If you see somebody, if you're a, what Paul would call here, a weaker brother or sister, and you have a question about why somebody's doing something because it violates something within your heart, please be gracious in going to them and asking about them. Go in humility. Don't go with your arms crossed, your legs crossed, your eyes crossed, everything you can cross to show your disdain and your condemnation upon them and say, you should not do that. Ask. Go in humility and say, can we talk? Can I learn from you? You may consider it and you may come to the exact same position where you started. And that's okay. And it's also okay if somebody studies the exact same disputable matter And comes to a different issue. But we must all consider and work through these things ourselves. So that we can lift each other up. And so that we can walk along beside one another. In love. In encouragement. And in mutual edification. If you're a stronger brother or sister. Watch that you don't begin to see yourself from a position of pride. Or arrogance because of your convictions. Remember the fact that you were accepted before God. Because of the work of Jesus. Also understand. That you're not strong in everything. There are areas where you are the stronger brother or sister. But there's also areas where you're the weaker brother or sister. Because your scruples are pretty tight. To the weaker brother. Watch that you don't become judgmental toward the stronger brother or sister because of your convictions. I'm all, I'm wrapping up, so if you want to turn to the hymn, that's quite all right. You know, don't engage in a practice that you feel would violate your conscience. If you do, then it is sin for you. 
and be willing to lovingly approach someone who engages in a practice that you don't agree with and seek to learn from them. Not necessarily, as I said, to change your mind, but to go through that process of considering, to go through that process of making informed decisions. Two last things, two last warnings. There are disputable matters that can turn into sinful matters. All things are lawful for me to eat, but gluttony is still a sin. So watch that as you, especially you stronger brothers and sisters, watch that as you exercise your Christian liberty, that you do not walk something that is a disputable matter into the area of sin. Because there are those things out there. There are those things where, yes, some Christians are strong, but others are weak because they walked into sin. And the other thing is to remember is to keep the glory of God as your primary objective. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. If we keep that in mind as we move forward in our Christian life, we will avoid the judgmentalism and the despising that can come from this. And we will truly seek each other's love and edification. Let us pray. God, you are great and worthy of everything that we have. Help us to love each other. Help us to edify one another. Help us to walk this walk together, remembering that we accept each other because we are accepted by you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 88. I'm sure I got that right. It's wrong in the bulletin. It's right on the screen. But it's hymn number 88. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. So let us stand and be reminded of the words with which we opened. That we rest in the wings, in the shadow, in the refuge of the Almighty. So let us stand and sing Bible, or hymn number 88. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place.
as you go this week, take this blessing upon you. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.